0: This fatigue about this war and how we're going to continue to support Ukraine is a real worry.
1: As Ukraine slips from the headlines, those living in the war zone worry about getting their stories heard. From WNYC in New York, this is On the Media. I'm Brooke Gladstone. Also on the show, big tech said they'd clamped down on Russian propaganda. Did they?
2: When I checked, Russian state-run media outlets were performing outstandingly well. They had hundreds of millions of views.
1: Plus, in Ukraine, a gamer and Twitch streamer who dumped his rig when the Russian invasion began risked his IRL life to get back online. And I was able to
3: recover my whole equipment.
4: You drove back into the war zone to get your PC? Yes. Bobby, you're crazy, man.
1: You're crazy. It's all coming up after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations.
4: Listener supported. WNYC Studios.
1: This is On the Media. I'm Brooke Gladstone. Last week on the show, we examined the information war Russia is waging against its own people and much of the rest of the world. This week, it's all about Ukrainians fighting back on all fronts.
2: The Ukrainian counteroffensive is now underway four villages already taken back from russian control in the south
5: there's heavy fighting right now in the area around Kherson, a crucial port this
2: strike hit a key
6: bridge in kherson city which is under
1: russian control meanwhile more than 100 miles northeast of Kherson, the russian occupied zaporizhia power plant is generating global anxiety
5: a team of u.n inspectors arrived at europe's largest nuclear power plant after new shelling shut down one of its two functioning reactors
3: (laughs)
1: As Ukraine grapples with the threat of nuclear disaster, amid the launch of an ambitious counter-offensive, it subsists on a steady diet of Western donations. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson visiting Kyiv today announced a $63 million military aid package, which comes as the U.S. pledged another nearly $3 billion. But even as money and materiel flow in, many, within and without the theater of war, worry that victory may be impeded by a decline in something less tangible.
0: This fatigue about this war and how we're going to continue to support Ukraine is a real worry. I mean
1: Ukraine trying to make
4: progress in the South, uh, anticipating probably some war fatigue among some of their supporters, uh, particularly in Europe. The question is, how long can this last? When does the war fatigue set in? When are the...
1: Studies do show a decline in headline news about the war. Global attention is an inevitable casualty of any protracted conflict. Distant hearts and minds are inclined to drift to the next tragedy or intrigue or atrocity. Olga Tokaryuk is a journalist, longtime correspondent, and non resident fellow at the Center for European Policy Analysis, based in Ukraine, where she lives. Welcome to the show.
6: Hello, and thank you for having me.
1: President Zelensky said last week that the end of this war and its circumstances depend on the world's attention. Agree?
6: Yeah, I think people in different countries focusing on what's happening in Ukraine and the atrocities that Russia commits. They put pressure on the governments to continue supporting Ukraine, to continue sending weapons to Ukraine. Only then Ukraine has a chance to win this war. But it
1: seems as if the governments of Europe and of the United States are continuing the money flow and the weapons flow. So how much do you need international hearts and minds?
6: These flows are continuing, but they are still not enough. Ukraine's forces are still outnumbered and outgunned by Russian forces. The
1: government's branding campaign called Be Brave Like Ukraine launched in April with a flurry of T shirts and social media posts, online videos, billboards, one of which featured a Ukrainian woman saving dogs from a war torn area. Has the messaging of Ukraine's government changed over the past
6: six months? I think the messaging has been pretty consistent. And that message is, we will not let the aggressor take our land without a fight. And also the messaging for the international audience has been pretty consistent as well. There the message was, this is not just Ukraine's fight. Ukraine is fighting for the values of freedom and democracy. It's just that I think the manner in which it was delivered maybe was transformed. With time, more and more people were engaged in this, so it it was not just President Zelensky. So, in that context, let's
1: talk about First Lady Olena Zelenska. Over the past couple months, she started traveling internationally, giving interviews with the foreign press, and she famously posed for a Vogue cover shoot in July, sitting on war-torn steps in a polished outfit. First of all, what did you think about that Vogue interview I think it meant something different to Ukrainian women than it meant to
6: its critics. The critics of this photo shoot and interview were saying that it was somehow uh, glamorizing the war. But in Ukraine, it wasn't seen this way because war is not just a terrible horror, but it also the life that is still continuing, which might seem weird to people who never experienced living in a war-torn country. but. Suddenly, Ukrainians realized that, well, yes, the war is terrible, but at the same time, people still go out, people still try to celebrate birthdays. It's the only way to keep sanity and to resist, to keep living your life. You also
1: observed that the Vogue cover in Ukraine was seen as an image of
6: power that Ukrainian women have in the face of war. Actually, a lot of Ukrainian women were posting similar photos in a similar pose uh, with a hashtag uh, sit like a girl. (laughs) And what they wanted to say with this campaign was that no one can dictate how women should sit or behave or look. And Olena Zelenska somehow symbolized all Ukrainian women who, despite the war, continue to take care of their loved ones, take care of themselves and do some very important work for the country.
1: She speaks of the issue of mental health in Ukraine and of the plight of children in bomb shelters and sitting smartly on the steps in Vogue. Is she part of a multi-pronged effort along with the t-shirts and other branding
6: to keep hold of the world's attention? This is definitely part of that effort, but I think this is a very genuine effort. So this is not something like a marketing campaign. Like she was not very prominent and present in the public space in the first weeks and months of war, but she's been present in a sense that uh, since she became a first lady, she was trying to advance the issues of equality, not just in terms of gender equality, but also rights for people with disabilities and uh, LGBTQ rights. The Russian full-scale invasion began. She added to that the issue of the mental health, something that is very important that Ukraine will have to face in the next years, even after the war is over. Of course, she's involved in this effort to keep Ukraine on the front pages and in the media of the world, but she's also doing a lot internally for the Ukrainian society. I was thinking about those selfie videos that President Zelensky posted early
1: in the invasion. Those videos were engaged to great effect, not only with his own people, but with the world. How about now?
6: Do they still work? Yeah, you know, I remember in the very first days after uh, the Russian full-scale invasion began, me and other people whom we were sheltering in our house, uh, internally displaced people from different parts of Ukraine, were sitting in the basement during an air raid alert and watching to these videos of President Zelensky. And they were giving us a really strong morale boost to see that the president of the country is here. He's in Kyiv recording videos from the outside of his office when Russian propaganda is claiming that he fled the country and he's already hiding somewhere in Poland, that motivated a lot of Ukrainians to resist. And me personally, I'm not watching them as often as I used to. But somehow it feels comforting, you know, to receive notifications that a new video from President Zelensky has dropped. But
1: you have noted that now that the initial thrust of the war has passed, Many Ukrainians criticized the way that Zelensky handled his war communications just before the February invasion. Ukrainian officials seem to be in some denial, and I remember that a couple of weeks before the invasion, he told Ukrainians to prepare for regular barbecues in May.
6: He argues that he wanted to avoid the panic and also the economic collapse. And in fact, Ukrainian media were reporting all the statements of Western officials and Western media about an imminent invasion. The fact that Ukrainian officials did not explicitly urge people to prepare for a possible evacuation, a lot of people are bitter about it now, and we are seeing... This initial super high figures of support to Zelensky, which were more than 90 percent in the first weeks after the invasion, they are slowly going down. But he remains the most popular politician in Ukraine with a huge distance between him and the next most popular politician, former president Poroshenko.
1: There's another way to keep the war viral and that's memes. Ukraine's Ministry of Defense Twitter has more than a million followers and very biting, dark humor. Is this run by one of the entertainment people that filled Zelensky's staff in the
6: early days? We have no idea who is that genius behind the Ukraine's Ministry of Defense Twitter account, but uh, that person certainly is probably the most wanted and envied uh, social media manager in all of Ukraine. Maybe the world. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, yeah. It's really funny because... It was Russia that first started to use its official accounts, its uh, embassies on Twitter, you know, for this trolling and use of memes. But they were doing it very often in a very clumsy way and becoming a target of jokes themselves. And then
1: there's there's NAFO, the uh, North Atlantic <laughs> exactly. Fellow Association.
6: Yeah. yeah, NAFO sounds then similar to NATO, and their motto is NAFO expansion is non-negotiable. Is this army of animated dogs started from the tweet of a Russian ambassador to Vienna, who engaged in a debate with one of these cartoon dogs, And suddenly, like, he was receiving a lot of replies, and he tried to argue with them. But of course, like, he was swept away by all this trolling and memes that they were creating. And it became a phenomenon because this NAFO movement is also a charity movement, raising money for servicemen who are fighting in Ukraine, for Georgian Legion and some other fighters in Ukraine. And to become a fella, you have to make a donation first, and then you will be given this personalized avatar. And it's remarkable that actually they've been making such a difference in a battle against disinformation on Twitter by reacting to posts of Russian government officials. It was even noted by the Ukraine Ministry of Defense. They tweeted in support of NAFO. I'm also researching disinformation. And I led several like, research projects on disinformation on Twitter, and I'm amazed to see how it actually can be countered, not just with debunking, not just with facts, but with very witty trolling and, of course, in huge numbers. But do you think this can also stave off war fatigue? Humor is a very powerful tool. Of course, in this situation, it's almost always black humor. But humor helps Ukrainians to keep up their spirits and to resist. hmm And I think for people around the world who support Ukraine, it also helps them somehow to alleviate this pressure from heavy, difficult news and also their own lives that might have been affected by this war in terms of rising costs and
2: shortages
6: Mm -hmm. of food or, or other things like laughing it out in the times of crisis, I think helps to somehow survive and deal with it better. Olga, thank you
1: very much. Thank you. Olga Tokaryuk is a journalist based in Ukraine. Fighting war fatigue is one challenge. Playing whack-a-mole with Russian misinformation is another. Andrei Babarykin is executive director of Ukrainska Pravda, one of Ukraine's biggest independent outlets. He's also a member of the Media Development Foundation, helping independent Ukrainian media survive the war. He looked into big tech companies like Google and Facebook, aka Meta, to see if they're actually keeping Russian propaganda off their platforms. They said they would, but mostly, he says, they're not.
2: When the war started in Ukraine, Facebook and Google were quick to say that, okay, we are banning Russia Today and Sputnik and all the state-run channels from our platforms. And when I checked, Russian state-run media outlets were performing outstandingly well. They had like hundreds of millions of views per month, bigger than CNN on YouTube.
1: Google and Facebook, or Meta, would say that they banned a lot of these sites after the invasion. But for instance, on Facebook, they're really under a shadow ban, so you can still search for pages.
2: So what they did was prevent people living in the USA or Canada from accessing these pages. They did the same thing in Europe, but they have been left on the platform. And if you are not living in the territories that I mentioned, In Nigeria, for instance, you can access this content freely. Even if you are in Ukraine, if I'm using a VPN, I can take a link from Russia Today, which you cannot access from Ukraine because it's banned in our country. But I can take any link and I can post it on my Facebook account.
1: What do you think these platforms should be doing to prevent lies from being propagated on their sites?
2: I think that the big tech, both Facebook, Meta, and Google, should acknowledge that these properties have been able to freely evolve on their platforms. Right now, it feels like this is like a new thing. Uh, Russia Today, Sputnik, and Russia One all of a sudden appeared on February 24 on Facebook and Google and YouTube. In fact, it was several years of systemic a big part of which was incentivized by advertising.
1: You also feel a great deal of frustration with the way that they have been banning certain Ukrainian content, which you say does effectively serve the readers.
2: Yeah. We work with over 50 independent local publishers in Ukraine, and a lot of data comes through us about their content being banned and their Facebook pages being penalized for violating Facebook community guidelines. But when we go deeper into that, it appears that a lot of these bans are actually strange interpretations of very broad guidelines that Facebook has, a very frequent example is when a publisher reports a news piece that involves Azov battalion, which is like a military unit.
1: This is a very controversial unit in the past. It had connections with far-right groups. It had a terrible reputation, but it has been fighting on the side of Ukraine in this war. And you noted that there's a tremendous... Double standard. International organizations report a lot about Azov and that using that logic, you said, you couldn't report on ISIS or Al-Qaeda.
2: Yes. In many cases, what is banned is clearly information within the public interest. The publishers are being penalized for just doing their job, which is crazy. We, Ukraine, used to be a region that is not of a big interest to big tech companies we don't have like a very big dedicated team of specialists who work through these cases it's a matter of hiring i don't know 10 more people for the media team that works specifically with ukraine Because currently, as far as we know, it's a couple of people working from Poland that have to deal with hundreds of requests and queries.
1: Right. It would be terribly expensive for a small startup like Facebook to hire a few more people to cover this issue. But I know it gets up your nose that Google doesn't get any bashing, but it's just as bad, you think?
2: Yeah, because YouTube is one of the biggest websites in Ukraine. Over 20 million people monthly are visiting YouTube. And Google gets very little bashing for allowing Russian-funded content to proliferate on this platform. I have like a very personal example. A couple of weeks ago, Mikolaev, which is my hometown that is currently heavily shelled by the Russians, I had to evacuate my wife's grandparents from there. When I was moving their stuff to take to Kiev, I noticed that they had a smart television. It allows you to watch YouTube. And there was a YouTube on showing a channel that I clearly know is funded by the Russian propaganda funds. And you could freely watch it in the city that is heavily shelled by Russians. So I think that 100% Google isn't doing enough to prevent that from happening.
1: That's Andrey Babrykin. He's the CEO of Ukrainska Pravda. Just after the Russian invasion, Bobby, a Ukrainian gamer, made his own escape with help from his followers and the game Escape from Tarkov. We'll recap that adventure and then reveal his next chapter. This is On The Media. wherever you get your podcasts. This is On the Media. I'm Brooke Gladstone. Now we turn to the exodus of refugees from Ukraine, which was described as the fastest-growing displacement of people in Europe since the Second World War. Back in March, we brought you the story of Bobby, a Twitch streamer and his family's flight from the war. We're rerunning it now. But if you've already heard it, stick around for a brand new second part of the piece. Micah, take it away. What's the news? Uh, I don't know, no one will tell me nothing.
4: We're watching a live stream on Twitch.tv of a gamer who goes by Bobby. It's February 24th and he's talking with his viewers. Thank you guys for being with me for so long. long? Most of the screen is taken up by a video game, a first-person shooter. In the bottom right corner, we see Bobby's face. His weary eyes are peeking through a black balaclava. Behind him is a cot, a stack of wood logs, a furnace, and a concrete wall. Yeah, that's bad news. Bobby is live streaming from a bunker 30 feet below a military base in eastern Ukraine. So
3: it looks like a definite war, boys.
4: His viewers are sharing updates in real time as the invasion starts to unfold.
5: I've gone back and watched the whole video.
4: This is Charlotte Wallens. She goes by Lottie. She lives in Trenton, Ontario, and she's one of Bobby's most devoted fans.
5: He felt the earth move. And you see him sort of pick his head up and look around and he goes, Guys, I think I need to go.
4: It's at this moment he realizes that Russia has begun bombing his location.
3: I hope I'll be able to see you again. I'll just drive to my family and I'll see if I can
4: keep you updated, at least in text or in Discord, guys. Yeah, you got Discord, Bob. You're good. Discord is a messaging app popular among gamers.
5: Watching him say goodbye to everybody absolutely broke me. He doesn't know if he's going to make it to see his kids, much less get to see the rest of the people he considers his family.
3: I love you guys. Thank you for whatever you've done. I love you guys. Wish you good luck, brother. Thanks, brother. To all of you, thank you very much.
1: We'll see you soon, Bob.
4: That's when the stream ends. I saw this clip as it was circulating on the internet and went to Twitch to see if Bobby had signed back on. He'd been silent for eight days. I wanted to know what had happened to him, whether he'd made it to his family, if they were all right. I managed to track him down with Lottie's help.
3: So, uh, Lottie, did you share with Micah my location and stuff?
5: No, not your specific location, the okay.
3: uh,
4: information. I say that... Before I tell you what happened, I need to get you up to speed. First off, his real name's Pavel, but everyone calls him Bobby, so that's what I call him. He's from Poland, and he asked that I smudge some of his personal details to protect his family's safety. He originally came to Ukraine to start a business 10 years ago, but in 2014, life in eastern Ukraine, where they were living, started to get really rough. Putin's invasion of Crimea accompanied a parallel conflict in the Donbass region between Ukraine and pro Russian separatists, about 75 miles from Bobby's home. The nearby violence and economic turmoil hurt his business and it filled him with dread. To get his mind off of things, he started sinking his free time into a game called Escape Singapore. from Tarkov.
3: Beat the apple. No, PMC, guys. Be careful. PMC. You're dead? I'm dead. PMC?
4: It's a first-person shooter game, kind of like Call of Duty, but way more hardcore.
5: Call of Duty, all of your teammates are marked as your teammates, and all of your enemies are marked as your enemies, and you have a special map that shows you where all your enemies are. Tarkov has none of that and very little instruction to start with.
4: Bobby became obsessed with Escape from Tarkov for a couple reasons. First, he loved the brutal challenge. You can't just run and gun in Tarkov. You have to be tactical and deliberate. The point is to survive. The weapons are designed to sound and feel like the real thing. And if you let your guard down for a moment, you're dead.
3: Those who play Tarkov are those who are able to find peace with suffering. And it takes a lot of suffering to get good enough to enjoy the game. And the second reason what clicked with me is because buildings are looking like I'm used to seeing this Eastern
4: Europe in real life and the story was matching place I was living. Tarkov is a fictional Russian war zone created by Battlestate Games, a beloved Russian developer.
3: Tarkov was very similar to what was the beginning of the war in Ukraine.
4: For instance, in the game, you can play as one of two private military groups, which, he says, matched the dynamic in the early days of the war in Donbass.
3: There was private armies formed by oligarchs in Ukraine. I get that he really liked
4: the game, but was he good at it?
5: Yeah. Uh, 18,000
4: hours. Holy crap. 18,000 hours is two years. I was playing almost
3: 20 hours a day every day. I was like a zombie using Tarkov as the only drug to keep me out from having any contact with reality.
4: When I think of an escape, I think of going to some fantasy land that's so unlike real life that it gets your mind off of it. But this sounds like you were just escaping into a computerized gamified version of the world directly around you.
3: In real life, majority of things are usually taken away from your hands, if you like it or not. In Tarkov, majority of your outcome depends on you.
4: He felt that lack of real-world agency when COVID hit Ukraine. His business, all his investments he'd spent eight years building, vanished overnight. He remembers telling his Tarkov friends about it in early 2020.
3: I asked them, guys, I'm bankrupt. I have family, wife, two daughters, and I don't know what to do, how to live. And the best thing I have left under my name is my life insurance, how I can commit suicide. They told me, don't panic, why don't you just do what you do right now, but for living? And
4: then they asked me straight, why don't you just stream talk of So he set up an account on Twitch. His wife used a connection she had in the army to help him rent a cheap bunker on a military base 18 miles from his home, which would allow him to stream without bothering his family. He also launched Tarkov Academy, a website where 40 or so people would end up applying to be coached by Bobby. The service was promotional and therefore free, but you'd have to put up with this.
3: While you are looting the stash, while I'm disconnected next to you, I'll die instantly. Do you understand what mean? protect me? What the is, do you need to be told such stuff? I told you, you, protect me. Many people were saying I was taking Tarkov too seriously. But for them, it was just a game. For me, it was a source of feeding my family. So every time I died, I'd seen it as taking a piece of bread from the mouth
4: of my children and wife.
0: The very first time I saw it, I didn't understand it.
4: This is Keith Badner, a 41-year-old operations manager living in the UK. He goes
0: by Keefy. He's a very intense person when he's in the game, and he's very focused. And because he knows every aspect of the game intricately, I honestly thought this guy's crazy. Eventually, Kifi and Lottie became two of his biggest fans.
5: Kifi is Bobby's right-hand man. They have been gaming together and, and working on the Tarkov Academy program together for years.
4: Before the invasion, Bobby's stream averaged about 40 viewers. Super tiny by Twitch standards. He made 500 bucks a month through donations and Twitch ads, which was enough for his family to live a humble but stable life. And a big part of the reason this operation even worked was because of volunteers like Lottie and Kifi.
0: My responsibilities were to make sure that the discord was running uh, smoothly and then moderating the stream. How many hours a week would you say you were moderating in the region of fifty hours? Why were you giving
4: this person I'm assuming you've never met in real life fifty hours a week of free labor? <laughs>
0: It's hard to explain, but basically, you fall in love with Bob. You spend a little bit of time with him, and everybody says the same. He's infectious.
5: Bobby takes everybody in who's kind and genuine, and he makes them a part of his family. Calls him brother, and he calls me sister. And that makes a very loyal following.
4: Which brings us back to February 24th, just before 6 a.m. Ukraine time.
3: I love you guys. Thank you for whatever you've done.
4: Wish you good luck, brother. He ends the stream, rushes out of the military base. The air raid sirens are blaring, and he begins his drive back to his family.
5: About 35 minutes after he left the bunker, he saw a missile go over his head that we're pretty sure destroyed his bunker. We know it hit it.
4: He starts dictating his will into his phone, which he sends to Keefe in a series of audio messages.
0: I told him to pull himself together, that he's got kids that need him, and he needs to think on his feet, and then he needs a plan to get there. He was like, I oh, know, Keithy, I needed you to tell me. And then as soon as he snapped out of that, his training kicked in. His training? He spent 18,000 hours playing, effectively, the most realistic Russian military simulator.
4: Over the next four days or so, Bobby traveled over 900 miles as he navigated his way towards Ukraine's western border. To survive, he says he drew on three lessons that he learned from playing Escape from Tarkov. Lesson one, think, don't run.
3: You want to run anywhere, you don't think, where are you running, you're just trying to run away. And and as you understand, your direction of your movement is determining will you be alive or not.
4: Keefi, your situation is drastic. Throughout his journey, he sends Keefi and Ladi messages like this on WhatsApp.
3: Everything ahead of us looks like after fallout. No people, no civilization, no petrol and gas station, no food, nothing, nothing left. Everyone who was running ahead of us took everything yesterday. I was told that we can only travel till dust. After dust, it's better for us to stay in in the forest than move on the road. The first night was terrifying because we were in the middle of nowhere and the missiles started falling around us. We didn't know what to do. And we see, I think, three families running to some shelter. So we decided to just literally
4: pull over, run with them and hide in the basement. Bobby looks at Discord on his phone, and he sees that Kifi, Lottie, and some of his viewers are checking in on him.
5: We spent some time explaining, like, look, it's okay. You're not alone. You're never going to be alone. We will be with you every step of the way, and we will watch over you guys over the Internet while you're sleeping.
3: I actually felt alive. I don't feel I'll die lonely because I'm surrounded with people who I spent so many years and so many hours speaking together.
5: And all of us were sending our love and our support back to them. Uh, even the families we don't know. And he told us that night that it kept them going through the night without panicking.
4: Lesson two, listen for clues. The next morning, February 25th, they wake up to shelling at around 4.30 a.m.
3: From Tarkov, I learned how to calculate the speed velocity of a gun and bullets which are shooting at me by estimating the sound of the bullet. And in real life, it's around 350 meters a second.
4: He applied this technique to figuring out where an explosion was coming from.
3: I was able to actually estimate the distance to explosion by seeing it and counting the time to hearing it. I was able to understand that this explosion is 1.82 seconds away from me. It's 700-ish meters.
4: He realized that the time between explosions seemed to be getting shorter.
3: I told my family we are living, and everyone was shouting, where are you going, the bombing. I said, the shelling is around one-and-a-half kilometer away from us and it's coming towards us, so we will go opposite direction. I think the people in the basement, they were thinking we are mental, but
4: we were actually right. Lesson three, put yourself in your enemy's shoes. I was always trying to explain... He would tell his students, imagine you are your enemy, hunting you right now. How would you do it? Where
3: would you position yourself? How would you kill yourself? Where would you expect to expose yourself?
4: The Ukrainian interior minister had advised that civilians turn off cellular data so that Russians couldn't track their locations. This meant he couldn't see where he was driving for much of the trip, but Keefe and Lottie could because they were tracking his live location with end-to-end encryption on WhatsApp.
5: So we created a map for him on Google Maps and sent it to him as a screenshot and with the instructions page that you can print from Google Maps as a PDF so that he could pull it up on his phone but turn off his data and everything else to try and make them as invisible as possible.
3: Because I had their information turned here left and here right, they were able to guide me through the countryside
4: which I'd never been before. While they were focused on the immediate dangers of their journey, Bobby had no clue that he had become famous on the internet. That emotional clip of him saying goodbye during his last live stream had been spreading like crazy on Reddit and Twitch.
3: I was told that this was actually become so viral that it was in the Singapore television, in
4: Spain, in England, in TV. More than a thousand bucks of donations had shown up in his bank account. Hundreds of new fans were pouring into his Discord server and showering him with support. This bit of new internet fame, he realized, meant he'd make more money from live streaming when they finally reached Poland, whenever that might be. When I interviewed Lottie, she described what she had gleaned about the state of the refugee crisis.
5: The vast majority of the Ukrainian refugees are fleeing through Poland. It is a five to seven day wait right now in a car.
4: Lottie and Kifi started searching Google Maps, looking for places where the family might be able to safely wait out the logjam.
5: Small, out of the way, close to the border, sub 5,000 people with like a road that runs straight through it. One way in and one way out.
4: When Bobby and his family arrived at their suggested village on February 28th, they went into a grocery store.
3: There was a queue for bread because it's shortage, of course. And we spent two hours with 30 babushka, which is 30 old grandmas, in the queue, being so welcome, so helpful, so thoughtful.
4: This little town mostly just had kids and their grandparents because the combat-aged adults seemed to be off fighting the Russians.
3: For me, it was heartbreaking of seeing the Grandma, when I see how much money she's having in her wallet,
4: you can see her counting on her fingers, will she have enough to buy her bread? At that moment the grandma gets a call from her daughter, who is out there at war, asking if she's okay, if the kids are okay.
3: And her grandma with absolute peace and smile, laughing, Yes, everything is fine, we have money and stuff, and as soon he hangs off, she openly says to other grandmas that her pension didn't arrive yet because the postman is not walking, so she actually is struggling. And this was the instance when I said, I'm done running. I said, honey, let's use this momentum of what we have. Let's stay here and help those who are really forgotten in this whole conflict. Because if I run to Poland, I'll watch the news from Ukraine, I'll hear your mom or grandma who is blind, suffering, going through it on her own. Without us, I will feel like a coward. I will not be able to watch myself into a
4: mirror. They have a plan to escape if things get bad, but... For now, they're doing humanitarian work with the money they're raising from Bobby's growing fame. With Kifi and Lottie's help, Bobby set up gamers ukrainecom That's four, like the number four. He sent me a picture of packed grocery carts he says are for families passing through. He told me he's already driven countless people to bus stops and train stations and that they've also begun renovating a building which will serve as a free hostel for refugees.
3: But for the last few days when we are actually actively helping families to run to safety, it changed my life forever. Because the mental and moral reward for help with no interest cannot be replaced by any other action or activity in life. And I love it because I feel that I've done Something which will be left over from my existence in this earth.
4: When this is all over, if it's all over, do you think you would go back to playing Tarkov 20 hours a day?
3: <laughs> yes, of course. I'm sure of no doubts. I didn't play Tarkov for 10 days right now. And I, I miss it. I wish to
1: be there. Coming up, five months later, Micah follows up. This is On The Media. This is On The Media. I'm Brooke Gladstone. You just heard the first part of Bobby's story. He's a Ukrainian Twitch streamer whose devoted fan base helped him and his family navigate the war zone. OTM correspondent Michael Loewinger wanted to know how Bobby fared since we first ran that story in March. So here's part two of his reporting.
4: So how long has it been since we last spoke? Five months. Five months, yeah. What's happened? Catch us up. Oh,
3: so things um, are not changing as much as we wish. The war is still ongoing. We are hitting the hard pine in the conflict where losses are quite similar on both sides. I do still help with organizing supplies for local people and fighters.
4: What happened to the refugee hostel that you built? Is is that still functional?
3: Not so much of refugees these days. Now people who are living there are those who are coming back to Ukraine, and they need a place to temporarily locate themselves.
4: While Bobby was doing all this charity work over the past few months, he and his family had been really struggling. I'm telling you, he was practically homeless. This is Robert Rhodes, one of the Bobbies. That's what he calls his viewers from Twitch. Robert's a 21-year-old college student from the UK. In April, he cut class, flew to Ukraine, and crashed with Bobby's family so he could chip in with the humanitarian work. That little
2: room we were staying at, what do we have in there? We had some like tablets, we had some phones, some chargers, food, some nappies, and that's it. He had nothing, really.
4: The timing turned out to be really bad. When he arrived, Bobby had pesticide poisoning and was sick with diarrhea. A shipment of supplies they'd ordered from Sweden never showed up. So there really wasn't any work to do. And Robert began wondering why he'd risked his life to just sit around in this tiny town. I feel like, you know, I'm still wasting away here.
2: And so I figured I will go to Kiev. I will take pictures because I brought a proper professional uh, camera to take pictures and see how the situation is, see how it all is for real. So I figured, I'll just buy a bus to Kiev. He was telling me how it's such a bad, stupid idea, but I was saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And he figured, I'm not going to let you die alone. I'll come with you.
4: It sounds like you were a bit of a war tourist, honestly.
2: <laughs> Mate, that's what's sounding, isn't it?
4: He was
3: actually shocked because he didn't believe that the main targets were all civilian targets. So he was able to see schools, kindergarten, hospitals, civilian urban places being missiled by by missiles.
4: In addition to keeping his friends safe, there were two reasons why Bobby was willing to go on this reckless trip. First, he'd imported some military equipment, several binoculars, rangefinders, and thermal scopes for sniper rifles and assault rifles, which he intended to donate to a Ukrainian colonel based in Kiev. And second, he and Robert had hatched a plan for him to start playing Escape from Tarkov again.
3: So when I was fleeing to pick up my family, I actually took a detour...
4: Back in February, at the very beginning of this story, the day he rushed out of the military base.
3: I left my computer in a very remote road in the forest. There was a tiny concrete bridge, and I just hid under the bridge in the plastic boxes, covered
4: with foil. From Kiev, he was just four hours away from the hiding spot.
3: And we went. And I was able to recover my whole equipment.
4: You drove back into the war zone to get your PC? Yes. Bobby, you're crazy, man. You're
3: crazy. (laughs) Every single Bobby was against it, besides the one who came to help me.
4: (laughs) You are the poster child of a video game addict.
3: (laughs) It's a lot of money for me. (laughs) I won't be able to afford to get myself a second similar setup. (laughs) I also felt obligated, because as you may know, everything I have was... Thanks to help of my viewers, I didn't buy a single piece of equipment I have right now. Everything I have, screens, keyboard, mouse, is donated.
4: Fortunately, the trip to and from the computer was successful and uneventful. And when he returned to his family, he began streaming Escape from Tarkov again.
3: We're still in Ukraine. We are still helping others to get through this war of Ukraine, but um, it's, it's getting harder and harder, I will be honest. Contact, 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 on the rocks. Oh,
4: the I don't think I really understood how important this bit of normalcy was for him, both emotionally and financially, until I began reviewing clips from his live streams in May. He can be seen holding his face, sobbing as he watches the donations coming in.
3: That's Thank you for every single one of you and all of you guys it's for for explain how much things, but, it's right now. Thanks for but
4: soon after Bobby returned to Tarkov he realized the game had changed during his time off. Many of his friends had stopped playing after a series of updates aimed at making the game more accessible had also made it less realistic and had attracted rampant cheating.
3: I'm no longer able to play Tarkov on so much as I was I wish but it's no longer a fun game to actually try to help people with.
4: And for a moment, I think Bobby's future as a Twitch streamer was uncertain. Until the state of the war forced him and his family to reinvent their lifestyle once again.
3: The whole idea of how it all started was trying to be independent with the food supplies for next year because we are concerned and worried that the whole economy of Ukraine is on the edge of collapse. All the food supplies and everything is becoming harder and harder to get.
1: The World Food Program estimates that one in three households across Ukraine is now food insecure.
5: This comes as a train carrying food to people in Ukraine was struck by a Russian
4: missile. But right now, everywhere in southern Ukraine, you'll see people harvesting wheat and grain, and they're doing it amid artillery uh, and frontline combat. Some suiting up with body armor in order to feed the country. In nearby cities and in his village, Bobby saw how people had transitioned to growing their own food to cope with these new challenges.
3: When we asked how much of a land is enough to sustain a small family, we were told that 2,000 meters would be just fine to feed all the vegetables and have chickens.
4: A man who he befriended through his charity work offered him a private loan for two and a half acres of farmland. And in May, he and his family moved out there to begin their new life. We don't have
3: water here. We don't have toilet here. We have only electricity and gas. And everything else, I'm
4: slowly building. No running water, just electricity and gas. Save for a couple dilapidated buildings and some fruit trees, the land was completely empty. And at first, he was a bit overwhelmed.
3: Never had a farm. I've never had animals. And none of my friends are able to give me any help.
4: And so he turned to the activity that helps him process the world. Streaming video games on Twitch.
3: For the first time in my life, after several years of playing mainly Tarkov and Tarkov only, I'm trying to discover all the new horizons. I I I found hundreds of games which I never expect exist. <laughs> Uh, for example, right now I actually enjoy a Ranch Simulator, which is early access. Ranch
4: Simulator. So you're like you're living on a farm and you're and you're playing Ranch <laughs> yes. Simulator.
3: And when I'm when I'm resting from the farm in real life, I'm doing the same they've done in real life, but
4: in the Ranch Simulator. Your approach to life is the virtual reflecting the real and the sort of blurriness between the two.
3: Yes, you can try many things in games, and money has no value in the games because you can always get more and get it faster you are able to see some of your own ideas, execute them and then see how greatly you fail or how, how much it can be improved and then work all over again all over again. So I was laughing to everyone that I will play Farming Simulator 22 to learn how to farm in real life and guess what, thanks to Farming Simulator I end up actually reorganize the shape of lands and to divide it to different parcels so I can grow more vegetables, more plants I need for my animals and it will be more efficient for me in the end.
4: Farming Simulator 22 is as tedious and hyper-realistic as the name suggests. It's a no-frills intro for commercial farming. You're just a 3D guy with a bunch of land and you learn everything from seasonal growing cycles to brand name tractors and heavy machinery.
3: Wow, that's insane King. Check this out. There is a Farming Simulator mod which is sponsored by European Union which is called Precise Farming which gives you all the idea of what nutrition land need to have to grow certain types of
4: crops. This is fascinating. So the European Union funded a mod of Farming Simulator. And John Deere also participated in this mod to teach people about what kind of pH values (laughs) and and nitrogen content in your soil will help you. That's wild.
3: And I learned all of it from Farming Simulator. And right now we are looking how to verify our level of the soil and how to prepare ourselves for next season and when i explained my neighbor that i want to do this and that test and i want to get myself a small tractor they were shocked because they are still using horses and and doing everything by hand
4: streaming these new games brought in a new crop of viewers
3: many of my viewers are actually farmers from us and uh, recently one of the viewers from us he actually helped me how to raise my cow because i had a problem to make her do what i want her to do without punishing her because it's a very nice lovely animal very emotional cows are very emotional when we took him from from her mom in the first day when i came in the morning to the barn when she was staying i literally seen her crying and I was so moved that I literally lie down in the barn on the hay next to her and start petting her and she would lie down her face on my belly and I was like my god this animal
4: what's the cow's name Bessie (laughs) very original
3: nickname her Bessie because all my viewers who donate me to buy some animals, they choose the names for them. So, for example, my pixel he donated me to buy myself a nice
4: rabbit. And our rabbit is called laggy. Like a laggy game when there's latency from the internet? Yes. Wonderful rabbit. <laughs> have other animals been donated?
3: Uh, yes. We have hyper chickens. Hyper donate me for chickens. We have five white chickens, six gray chickens. I have two ships as well. And I have... This, which are also donation from the other viewers. So everything I have in the farm is actually support of my viewers.
4: It's fascinating to me. You're playing Farming Simulator, which is a game based on real life. And then it's almost like your viewers are playing Farming Simulator by getting you farm animals and by giving you advice (laughs) on how to improve your farm. You're their simulation. Yes.
3: I'm blessed to be this part because many of them are living in big cities. They, Many of them, they say they wish to have a piece of land where they can grow their own potatoes, their own vegetables, their own type of cucumbers, but they don't. They are not able to.
4: And so they're kind of living vicariously through your farm.
3: Yes. It helps me and give them chance to, to see their ideas being executed by this guy <laughs> <laughs> on the other end of the universe.
4: Are you able to sustain yourself and your family with what you've built so far?
3: Not yet fully. We are using some of the products from neighbors, for example, milk, uh, wheat. But hopefully for next autumn, I will be able to fully sustain every food supply without any need to go to to store.
4: Bobby told me his plan now is to start a commercial farming business, like the one he runs in Farming Simulator. He's confident that Ukraine will win the war and that his family is safe where they are now. And I really hope he's right. I'll let you know when I calm back up in six months or so. For On the Media, I'm Michael Owinger.
1: And that's the show. On the Media is produced by Micah Lowinger, Eloise Blondio, Molly Schwartz, Rebecca Clark-Callender, Candice Wong, and Suzanne Gaber. Our technical director is Jennifer Munson, our engineer this week, Andrew Nerviano. Katya Rogers is our executive producer. On the Media is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Brooke Gladstone.